Great job again. I know there were a little bit of a few nerves from a few places this morning, but Kirsty, you did great. <laughs> even though you were the most nervous when you walked in this morning. My, my thanks too as well to everyone who made it happen from the constructing of the set to the painting to the photocopying, the editing, the, the reeling people in to be a part, all the things. It was great, great to have everyone uh, be a part of that. As we do celebrate Jesus' birth this Advent season, uh, I do want to direct us to, to one passage just quickly as we kind of uh, respond to what the play just told us and reminded us that Christmas is really all about Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to open up to, to Luke chapter 1. And we're actually going to be looking at a passage just before the one that Pastor John, who's already run up. Pastor John's got a nice little ring to it, doesn't it? And just me that thinks that? No, I, I, think, there's, I think he did pretty good. Yeah, we'll have to, to keep talking to him about that. So just before that, there's a, a, a section that, that maybe you, you know of as, as Mary's Magnificat or, or Mary's Song. And, and I think this passage helps us to, to see kind of an appropriate way to respond to what the play just told us, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about him coming to earth, uh, living the perfect life, dying for our sins, and being raised again. And so let me read uh, just a few verses from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up at verse 46 if you want to follow along. Uh, Mary says, or actually sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. And surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy and his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. And so how do we respond to this Christmas message? How do we respond to Jesus this Christmas season? I, I think we can learn from Mary a few things. And the first is this. We want to let our souls magnify the Lord. Now, the, 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 the word there that we have as magnify in our English language has to do with like taking a magnifying glass or maybe even a telescope or microscope and looking through it at something. So if you had a magnifying glass and you look through it, how does everything look? Big. And if you kind of move around, does it get bigger? Yes, it does. Man, you guys usually... I mean, I always make my first service as kind of a sleep joke, and you guys are on it, but they, they got that one quick. I've, I've got more questions. You'll have a chance to redeem yourself. It, when, when we magnify something, it gets bigger, right? Just like as I was snapping a picture, when I magnified the lens on the camera, the, what I saw gets bigger. Now, here's your chance to redeem yourself. Can God actually get bigger? No, that's better, a little better. So God himself can't get bigger, but our view of God can get bigger, right? And that's what Mary's saying. My, my soul wants to make who God is to me bigger. I want to have a, a greater understanding of who he is. So as, how do we do that? And, and this season is a great season to do that. When we think about things like Jesus, creator of the universe, the one who spoke things into existence, coming down and taking on the form of a baby and then walking through life in a poor kind of backwoods town, son of a laborer, uh, growing up and then speaking God's truth for a few years and then dying. When we think of the whole story of who Jesus was, our view of him increases, I think, I hope. And so we, we magnify 
the Lord. And as we see that, that this story of Jesus isn't just one that we should think about for four weeks around Advent and then on Christmas Day and then get on with our lives, but no, Jesus coming impacts every moment of every day of our lives. And as we start to let that kind of rattle around in our heads and as we think about that, again, our, our souls magnify the Lord. He becomes bigger to us and more real to us and more true to us. And, he, and, and it continues to grow. Some other passages, we've read this one, uh, John read one for us, and, and as we read through our Bible, some other passages that can help us magnify the Lord. In Colossians 1, especially verses 15 to 18, and I mentioned last week, if you are with us, that if you haven't read Colossians 1 in a while, let me invite you to do that. And let me invite you to find, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 minutes over the next few days to sit down Turn off all your, like, get rid of your devices. Find a printed copy of the Bible if you've got one. If you need one, talk to me. I'm happy to give you one. And just sit with those verses in front of you. Colossians 1, 13 to 15 that tell of who Jesus is and what he's done. And just, uh, just kind of soak in those words and think about it and ask the Lord to, to, to tell you what that means and to reveal something new to you maybe. And your souls will magnify the Lord. Other passages might be John 1, 1 to 3, the beginning of John's gospel, or, or Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. There, there's, there's lots of them, but those are maybe three that can help your soul magnify the Lord. Another way that we can respond to Jesus this Christmas from, from Mary's song is, is we can let our spirits rejoice in God our Savior. Now, she's kind of uh, saying the same thing again, kind of in two ways. She said, my soul and my spirit, it's, it's different words for the same thing. So she's building. Now, if my, my soul wants to magnify the Lord, that's a huge statement. And then she steps on top of that and says, and my spirit wants to rejoice in God. It's like, how much more of God can I get? And so Mary wants to worship with everything that she is, not just to give uh, God half an hour on Sunday morning and, and then maybe uh, some extra time because Christmas Eve happens to be on a Saturday. So we're going to give God another half an hour on a Saturday. And like, no, everything. Mary wants to worship with everything, her whole soul, her whole spirit. And that's the invitation for us as well. We give everything that we are, our soul, our spirit. Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher in England back in the day, a couple hundred years ago, known as the Prince of Preachers, he understood this and, and he uh, kind of described his experience of letting his spirit rejoice this way. He says, I like sometimes to, to leave off praying and singing, like to get to the end of my praying and singing and to just sit still and to gaze upward, probably considering the things he's just prayed and sung. And he says, I just gaze upward until my inmost soul has seen my Lord. And then I say, he is inexpressibly lovely. Yes, altogether lovely. So we want to let our souls rejoice in God, our Savior. But when we gather as a church, we do this together as well. And there is an, an intensity and a depth of worship that, that you just can't get on your own. I can be around the house and I can uh, put on Spotify or put in a CD and have some worship music playing, or I can be you know, reading my Bible or reading the psalm, and it can be a, like a great moment where I'm communing with God and I can feel like, the presence of God through the words and him speaking right to my soul. And it's, it's beautiful and lovely and amazing. But when I get in the room with 20, 30, 40, 100, 200 other believers, those same words in 
200 voices, or maybe some of us are a little shyer, so maybe it's only 150 of those 200 voices, uh, lifting up those same songs. There, there's, there's a power there, and there's an intensity there as we gather together to let our spirits rejoice in God, our Savior. Uh, Martin Luther spoke of this as well, and he said, you know, at my home, in my house, he, you know, he's one of the, maybe the best-known uh, historical figures in the church, especially around the 1500s or so. He said, at my home and in my house, there's no warmth or vigor in me. I suspect he still worshipped and there was some warmth. But relative, he says this, but when I'm in the church and when the multitude is gathered together, there's a fire kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. We rejoice in God our Savior together. Then Mary continues in her song and she goes into some very personal reasons of why she magnifies the Lord and why her spirit rejoices in God. And first she recognizes that, that she lives in, in or she is a humble estate. She's a simple person. He, the, the passage says, he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Now, first of all, she's speaking to, to her people, right? To, to the nation of Israel that has waited for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. And now it's been announced, and she's like, we don't deserve this. We're, we're a forgetful people that have run from God so many times, and yet he still comes to us. We, we can't save ourselves, but God is still going to send a deliverer to us. But she's also recognizing face-to-face -face that there is nothing that she could have done to deserve being Mary, the mother of Jesus. It has nothing to do with who she is or, or all the good work she's done. Nothing she did deserved this. She is a nobody from nowhere, small town in kind of backwoods Israel, and yet the Lord has smiled on her. When we look at Jesus' life later as he, he's born, he grows up, and then he kind of launches into ministry, look at who he cared about and kind of chased after first and foremost. There's a passage recorded by Luke a couple chapters later from where we've been this morning where, where Jesus goes into the synagogue, kind of the Jewish church of the day, and, and uh, it's kind of him launching into ministry. And for whatever reason, maybe people recognize that he was a bit of a special teacher. He was kind of getting the reputation maybe of a rabbi, a teacher in those days. They, they asked him to read this, the text, the Bible text that morning. And so they invite him up, and, and I don't know if he was handed the scroll of Isaiah or he chose the scroll of Isaiah. Either way, it's, it makes for a great story. And he unrolls this scroll, and he pinpoints one of the, the key, most critical passages that the prophet wrote hundreds of years before that was foretelling this Messiah that would come. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to... Who, who did Jesus come to preach good news to? The poor the humble, not those who thought they had it all figured out. He's anointed me to preach good news, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus steps up, reads a 600-year-old prophecy, and says, here it is. He rolls up the scroll, hands it back, goes back and sits down in his seat. And, and understandably, there's probably a long, awkward silence as the, the people are thinking, did, did he just put that text on himself? Who, did, who does this guy think he is? 
And he stands up and says, again, after, I, I imagine, that long, awkward pause, today as you listen, that scripture's been fulfilled. The kingdom's coming. Stick with me, I'll show it to you. Later, Jesus would also teach, uh, when he starts his most famous, the longest recorded sermon that we have, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are who is the first one on the list? The poor in spirit. Not those who think they have it all figured out. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who, who mourn. Anybody like grieving and mourning around Christmas? Realizing that, man, there's, there's somebody who's going to be missing from our table. For whatever reason. There, there are relationships that are broken. There, there's hurt. There's pain. It is not always the most wonderful time of the year, right? It's hard. Jesus says, I'm with you. Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. I'm not sure there's many sweeter words. And blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus wasn't teaching anything new about God in this moment either. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 34, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Have you ever felt brokenhearted? Have you ever felt crushed? Like you don't know where to go or what to do or just everything is too much? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He comforts those who mourn. He comes to the humble. That's who Jesus went after first, who he came to first. The message is this. If, if you come to Jesus, you will not be rejected. You do not have to sort your life out to come to Jesus. You don't have to deal with your junk and then say, Jesus, look at how good I am. You're just lucky to have me on your team. No, we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, here is my garbage. I can't do this on my own. Can you help? He goes after and he comes to the humble, those who recognize their need for a Savior. As St. Augustine said this, for those who want to learn God's ways, for those who want to like know what it means to follow Jesus, know what it means to follow in God's ways, he says there's three things. Humility is the first. Humility is the second. And humility is the third. So Mary sings and celebrates how God is working through her in her humble estates. She also uh, praises the Lord because she's been blessed. Verse 48 as well. Behold, from now on, Mary says, all generations will call me blessed. And, and before we think she's bragging and recognizing just how, how, how well-known she's going to be for the rest of all eternity or the rest of human time, remember, she just thanked the Lord for coming to her in her humble estate. She's not an egomaniac. She doesn't have a complex. She realizes that for all future generations, she will be remembered because the king of the universe has come through her. But listen, if we too follow Jesus, we are also called blessed. Jesus says this through the form of a parable in Matthew chapter 25, a little bit later. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. As we follow Jesus, we too receive his blessing, and we too are called blessed. And as we follow him, he actually works in us and shapes our lives and, and helps us deal with some of the garbage that we bring and, and, and find healing and forgiveness and, and renewal in, in that. And, and we actually become shaped into his likeness. A little bit later, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, John, would write, Dear friends, we're, 
we're God's children now as we follow Jesus. And what we will be hasn't totally yet been revealed, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus comes back, that we will be like him and we will see him as he is. We are blessed. We are called blessed as we follow him. And then she breaks into, into a divine celebration and she celebrates God's power and holiness and God's mercy. Let me read verse 49 and 50 for us again. It says, Because the mighty one has done great things, the powerful one has done great things, and his name is holy. And his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. She sings about God's, God's power and might and his holiness and his mercy. She sings to the one who has done great things for her in, in anticipation of the gospel principle that will come that what is impossible for man is possible with God. Remember, she started out by saying, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Who am I that this would happen to me? We need someone to come save us because we can't do it ourselves. And so God is in the business of doing the impossible. God is in the business of taking our hard and dark and sinful hearts and removing them from us and replacing them with soft, tender hearts of flesh that are filled with his love, that, that, that love like he loves, that live like he lives. And so as we, we, we have that stony bits chiseled off our heart and God replaces and transforms us into the likeness of Jesus, one who loved perfectly and lived perfectly, we can understand that God is doing the impossible work in our lives. Maybe you don't want to raise your hand for this, but who has seen something not that they didn't like in their life, something they didn't like about themselves? The way, I don't know, maybe uh, you responded too quickly with anger or you cheated or you tended to lie or make yourself look better. You felt pretty proud, all these things. Who has those? Again, you don't have to raise your hand. But wanted to deal with them. I thought, you know what? If I just work really hard, I'll stop getting angry. Does that ever work? Maybe for you, it has never worked for me. Not for long anyways. But God's in the business of doing the impossible and chiseling that anger, that envy, that pride, that arrogance, that deception that can see all the things, chiseling it off of our hearts and giving us a, a fresh heart that is, that is one of love and life. And so we can say with Paul who writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it, because it is the power of God for salvation. This saving work is all God's power. God continues to do the impossible. She praises as well God's holy nature. We, when we say God is holy, we're not just adding a characteristic as though it's like, well, God is six feet tall, God weighs 185 pounds, and, and he's holy. No, this, it is who God is. He, is. he is other. He is not like us. He is completely different. It, the, the, the holiness of God describes him more than anything else we can describe him with. And it's important because if we want to, to lean on God for all those things, especially for the God who's going to do the impossible, the God who will forgive us of our sins, the God who will, who will carry us and who can, can deal with the, the junk in our life and, 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 and make us new, that can give us that new heart, he better be good and he better be holy. Because when we look to anything else for those things, to, to, to deal with the hurt in our life, if we think that, you know, if I want happiness, maybe this person will make me happy, or this job, or this, this stuff, or this move, or this place, or whatever else, 
if we put that weight of our happiness, our meaning, our purpose, our identity on any created thing, it will crush it. There is, there is no person on the planet that can handle the weight of your expectations. But God can. Jesus can. Because he's holy. And he invites us to put all those eternal expectations on him because he is good and he is holy. And she praises God for his mercy. She praises God's gracious faithfulness then, and that it will extend to generation after generation after generation after generation down to your generation and my generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. It is not because we have anything figured out in our lives that God is good to us. It is not because we have, we have worked so hard and piled up enough good deeds that God says, ah, I want you on my team. It is in spite of our mess, in spite of our sin, in spite of our, our trying to sort life out on itself that God says, no, 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 come to me. Let me show you the way. Let me show you the way to peace. Let me show you the way to meaning. It is his unending, gracious faithfulness to us we see that in him sending his son. God's mercy is the way that he primarily deals with people by extending his gracious faithfulness. And I would say as I look at my life too, much patience as I try to sort it out myself. Mercy is how God deals with his people. And so this season, as we celebrate Christmas, we can magnify the Lord. We can look at him and expect our view of God to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because he comes to help us in our helplessness and our weakness in our humble estate. We are None of us are living in a, a big culture-shaping, move-making city, right, Camelot? I mean, it's getting pretty big. We're up to 16,000. But God visits us right here. We might look around and say, well, Trinity Bible Church, we've got, you know, if everybody squished into a room, we wouldn't fit. We've got maybe, you know, 100, 150 people to call us home. What's God going to do through this church when, you know, you go to the cities and there's thousands, you go to the, you know, there's a, there's a church in Seoul, Korea, that's 100,000 people. What, what does God want with us? You know, God will come to our humble estate, and God has big things for us, for Trinity Bible Church in his Bow Valley. He will work through our humble estate. We can magnify the Lord because as we follow him, we are called blessed. And it's really his opinion that matters, nobody else's. We can magnify the Lord because he is powerful. When I look at all the obstacles in my life, the things that I just can't seem to work through, the things that I just don't see how we're going to get through, I look at him and say, okay, God, you got to work a miracle here. But you can do the impossible. We can magnify him because he is holy. Because all my needs for a Savior, all my needs for meaning and purpose and, and identity and value, I can hand to him and he can bear the weight of that. And not just mine, all of yours too, at the same time. And not just all of ours, but everyone's everywhere at the same time. And we can magnify the Lord because he is merciful. Because he set aside heaven and Jesus clothed himself in human flesh, came to the earth in the most humblest form as a baby, born in some small town in the middle of nowhere. But he was, he was born to a, 
a laborer father, and a young mom, who was perfectly obedient. He showed us how to relate to God, to others, to creation. He grew up and, and, and grew in wisdom and stature and, and looking like his father, his heavenly father. And he taught us all these things, and then he went to the cross. Because he too knew that we couldn't deal with this ourselves. This is the reason he came. And he set aside heaven to come to the most humblest beginnings on earth and to die the most gruesome death for you and for me so that our sin is paid for, our sin is dealt with, and we can be called blessed, we can be called adopted into his family, sons and daughters of the creator of the universe because of God's great mercy and continued gentle faithfulness that he shows towards us. Can you pray for us? Father God, thank you so much for this time we can be together. Thank you that we can be reminded of what this Christmas season is all about through a skit. And I pray that in this week until Christmas Day, when it might look really busy, maybe we still have to sign and send some Christmas cards. Maybe we've run out of vanilla and we have more baking to do. Maybe we are just so focused on getting ready for a Christmas party or, or a Christmas gathering or there's travel and, and, and all, the busy, all the other kind of external things around us just fill our minds. I pray that you would give us time and space to experience your peace, your hope, your joy, and your love. I pray that you would give us moments to, to magnify you. And it doesn't matter how big our view of you is in this moment. Maybe we're just starting to learn of Jesus about who you are and what you've done, or maybe we followed you for, for decades and decades, but I pray that you would help us to expand our understanding of who you are, that you would reveal yourself to us again so that we might magnify the Lord and our souls would rejoice in you. And I look forward to us being able to do that together again soon. In your good name we pray. Amen. Well, I do want to thank you for being here with us this morning. I want to invite you to our Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve, 7 o'clock, up at Silvertip. We'll be up in the big pavilion room there, uh, 7 p.m. And then Christmas Day, we'll be here, one service, 10 o'clock. Uh, again, not live streamed. So if you aren't in the room, we'll trust that you're celebrating a family or something. And that will be great. But God bless you. Have an amazing Advent, amazing Christmas season, and find some time to rejoice and magnify the Lord. And we look forward to seeing you again very soon.